0: edelstein here your celeb expert and your celeb savant celeb savant is a weekly entertainment show we have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities singers actors and industry experts on this episode of celeb savant i'll be speaking to robbie rivera robbie is a house music producer and dj born in puerto rico he has an extensive catalogue of original productions and remixes to his credit, ranging from tribal to progressive house, as well as incorporating garage and Latin elements. Up next on Celeps fund, we've got Robbie Rivera. Robbie, where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your life?
1: Hey, hey everybody, I'm doing great. Um... I am in uh, Georgia. I'm about uh, 45 minutes north of Atlanta. In uh, it's called Marietta, Georgia, and it's like in uh, in the suburbs. And it's a lot of uh, a lot of woods, a lot of trees, a lot of wildlife. It's kind of very relaxing. And um, yeah, I'm just here in my home right now, in my studio. I'm, I have a a few uh, music productions that I'm working on and remixes. So I'm just you know doing what I do every single day, which is make music and do other stuff run my label and, and try to get shows. That's my
0: life. <laughs> okay, so let's take it all the way back to the beginning of the Robbie Rivera journey and story in the music business. So I know you've been in the industry a number of years. So the hybrid version of the Robbie Rivera story, what got you into music? How did that happen? And yeah, handing it over to you.
1: Well, I started at a very young age. Um, I, I grew up in San Juan, Puerto Rico, in the Caribbean, and um, at a very young age, I saw a DJ. I think I was in sixth grade, which that makes me about uh, thirteen, I think. And I saw a DJ and my sister senior prom uh, mixing uh, vinyl together and playing this really cool dance music, and he was mixing it live, and he wasn't like I was sitting right next to it with my parents, and I saw mixing music together flawlessly with no break in the middle and I was like wow this is really cool and I used to listen to music on the radio a lot and the radio they always be a break between songs and I was like why is this guy playing music and there's no break in the middle and he's just, just mixing in perfectly and everybody's enjoying and I'm like I was just intrigued and um, I told my mom I wanted to, uh, to start you know buying music and, and buying vinyl records and she would take me um, almost every Friday she would go out to the shopping mall you know to get things whatever and then I would she would drop me off on the from the music store, and it would, they had like a section for DJs just for vinyl. And in Puerto Rico in those days, uh, that's 1988, all the vinyl, all the dance music would come from Europe, mostly. So you would get all that European flavor from Spain, from Italy, the UK, and then you would get some of the other dance music from New York, which is more freestyle dance um, in those days, you know, early CNC Music Factory, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. one day I was... Um, a boombox with a cassette yeah. and a recorder and and I was listening to a, to a song on the radio and I was recording it on the tape and I decided to just pause it at a certain section of the song while I was listening to it live and then I just waited until they played it again on the radio and then I removed the pause button on a certain section of the, of the song mm-hmm. so basically I was editing I was editing I was trying to create my Mix. It's Falco Rock Neonadales, I mean, from back in the day. Yeah. That was a song I was trying to, to repeat, repeat some of the sections of the vocal. And I was really young. I was like, I don't know, yeah, like seventh grade or whatever. I was like, well, this is really cool. I can make my own edits. I can make my own version because it just sounded cool to me. So I told my mom, can you take me to the music instrument shop, you know, so I can speak to somebody there and tell them the following. So my mom took me, and I told the guy that works there, OK, listen, I want to extract the vocals for the songs on the radio, and I want to do my own. I want to add my own music to it. I only had a drum machine that a friend lent me, and a real tour recorder to make editing music. So the guy looks at me in the shop, and he tells me, well, you can't do that. You know, you have to, you have to get the master recording tape from the original band. And go to a recording studio and do all these things that I was like, what? Oh man, that sounds like a, a lot of work. All right, so okay, so thank you. And my the guy was like laughing, you know. And then when I went home, you know, I just continued learning how to um, create beats and rhythm on on different drum machines that a friend of mine, a neighbor, a good friend of mine, Hori, that he 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 had all these instruments. I had I did have a. I did play live drums, so I had a, a set of a drum kit in my house, plus my turntables and a lot of stuff. So yeah, so I was like really trying to figure out how to how to, how to make my own versions. And, um, and when it came to DJing, um, nobody taught me how to how to mix music. I wanted to get the latest models of the the techniques MK12, you know, because those are, those were the best ones, are the ones that everybody used to mix music, and you know, just make sure that everybody used no more. And uh, I couldn't afford uh, afford it. and My parents were like, yeah, we're we're not going to get you that. So my parents got me the cheapest, cheapest, cheapest version of Mm -hmm. a DJ setup, you know, which one of them didn't even have pitch control. So then eventually they got me a better turntable, two turntables, and I was mixing two songs, just playing with them. And suddenly they were both on the same beat. And it was a, a record, a track from Erasure and a track from New Order. And they were all perfectly synced together. I'm like, "Whoa, that's how you th- they do it." That's I, so that's so you have to put the kick drum with this kick drum at the same time and keep it there without even moving around and use the pitch to keep it there, perfect. And that's the art of mixing. So I learned that by myself, and I was like, "Whoa, this is great." And then from there on, you know, through through middle school until I graduated, all I did was. Was a DJ in the weekend and whatever parties I would get booked at house parties, school parties, weddings, whatever it was, and um, and I continued buying records and you know one thing I used to do a lot was um read the credits from records and start to learn who are all the producers and the people editing the music and the labels and I was really intrigued with all that I was like this is so cool so um when I graduated from high school at seventeen or I think it was eighteen, I told my dad I wanted to. Uh, to study music production and studio recording, you know, and I was blessed that my father was able to, to pay for my school. And he told me, okay, go, I'll send you to school. And then you have to get a regular, to at a regular university and get something serious. Cause you know, that's just a hobby in case it doesn't really work out. And then I went through the whole drama of trying to get into school because in those days you had to learn how to play an instrument. You had to play an instrument to get into music Production school. Well, there mm-hmm. wasn't really that much music production school, but there, you had to go through a music school, and there you you would take business business courses and studio recording. But you had to learn how to have uh, learn how to play music and read music. I didn't know anything about that. I still don't. Um, but I consider myself a melody maker. And you will put a keyboard in front of me, and I will start playing melodies just naturally, even yeah. chords sometimes. Now I play much better. But um, so eventually, I went to the art institute of Fort Lauderdale in a in Fort Lauda, Florida and I got a music production degree and that's where uh, the Pro Tools software was um, starting out and different softwares for music recording and I learned how to, how to program music and how to record it in the studio and then I did what my father told me I went to business school and I got a degree on that and then one day I wanted to release my first record still in college and I tried shopping it to, to music labels and nobody liked them nobody liked my music I went to a lot. I even drove drew with a friend of mine in New York City. I went to a different company, different record labels in New York. Everybody hated my music. It was just terrible. It was just terrible. And I was like, whoa, I must be doing something wrong. My music always had a lot of energy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And house music, the be- house music in the beginning, it's more about the groove and, you know, cool beats, you know, percussion. Mine was like that, but it was just a lot of energy in it. So eventually, I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to release it myself so then borrowed money from my credit card and made some, no, 100-something vinyl and flew back to Puerto Rico in college break and gave it to all the DJs around the island. And then eventually a distributor in New York called me up and said, we want to order a 1,000 copies of this track. So then I had to manufacture those. And that's how I started the
0: label. Robbie, you've done a lot of remixing for other artists at the same time producing your own tracks. The difference... Of that, so producing your own tracks obviously is in your own space, your own time, your own energy. Do you prefer one compared to the other, or is it equally enjoyable producing your own tracks or remixing a track that an artist has already released?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because um, I I do love remixing other music from other artists, and well, it's a fun thing to do because I'll get you know an a cappella from an artist say here. Put your 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 music vibe to it, you know. And then I could be get to be super creative. I can make it very melodic. I can make it very um, banging. I can make it very uh, soulful. Whatever whatever the the vibe of the song is, and it's a lot of fun to do that. And I've had a lot a lot of success in, throughout my career remixing. I've remixed a lot of artists, and I um, have great stories about that. And then, but when it comes to original music, it's also fun because you know I'm just there sitting in front of the for my computer, you know. Okay, let me just start with the with the drums and the one note baseline. Let me see where it goes from there, you know. And I just start playing with inst- with different instruments, and I-, I can do whatever I want. When it comes to remixing, you have to like be focused on. Okay, the record company is paying me to have a particular dance sound, something that's going to most likely get played on dance radio, and definitely want DJs to play it around the clubs around the world. So I have to really focus on making sure I get those people happy. When it comes to original music, you know, I could take the risk of just creating and being super original and creating new sounds, and hopefully, people will like it. Sometimes they don't, sometimes they do.
0: When it comes to remixing for other artists, is it the artists themselves that are involved, <clears throat> or the record label? And how much input do either or both of them have in the final uh, remix?
1: You know, most of it, I would say ninety five percent of the time is the record label and the okay. manager of the artist. Uh, example, whenever we mixed Carlos Santana, um the label hit me up and they said, Look, we have this obviously an amazing guitar riff from Carlos Santana and we have this this hip hop ish vocal from Mike Sean. And they were like, We just want to make it into house to house music. You know, mm-hmm. right now it's you know it's like a pop tune with hundred BPM. We gotta get this up to hundred and twenty eight. We gotta get this, you know, sounding awesome. And um we heard you could do it. So I'll be like, okay, fine, look send me send me the vocals, send me everything you got. And we'll you know, we'll negotiate a deal and then and I'll just do it. And rarely rarely does the artist ever come back and say anything. I think some I, I think it's just like the label, you know when you're when you're an artist at that level, you did your version, your pop mix, you know, and, and the management and the label really handle how we're gonna make money for the on this song. So we gotta hire remixers and all these things. So yeah, some of them don't really um, say anything. Maybe now, since there's a lot of social media, you can tag artists and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe you'll get a reply. But in um, all the remixes that I've done, I did get a, I did get a man. Uh, it was Madonna and and the manager, and they did call me up from a car saying they loved the remix. Um, who else? Uh, I think Ricky and Martin once sent via management they loved, I mean they all the management always said they liked the mix or they hated it or changed yeah. it. There's been a few, a few, you know, moments where, where, the, where the labels don't like to read at all and you have to do it again and redo it again and sometimes it just doesn't work. Or you get into a battle with the singer. I had a situation with Christina Aguilera. She didn't like the way her vocals sound at all. And you get, you know, when you're taking a, a ballad, for example, and you got to get the ballad and speed it up yeah. to house music, you know, it's going to affect the vocals. And we're talking about, you know, the year 2003, you know, So there was the technology now it's, bit, it's way better. So I remember we had to, we have a situation with, with her vocals and we had to we had to remove it remove the, her vocals. And so I like and, I like both.
0: And are there any artists that you have yet to remix that you are still on your bucket list?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, well it used to be U2 and I got to remix U2. Um, but unfortunately the remix I did, they did not release it. And this has happened a lot in the remix world, and it's very annoying. So they'll hire you to remix the song, they'll pay you, and then they'll say it was just for promotional use. It was just to send it to the record to the DJs. You know, we're not going to put it up on Apple or Spotify or iTunes, whatever. Okay. Like, why not? What? It's already done. So with YouTube, it was like that, and then they allowed me to put it on YouTube. But you know, it was I was pretty pissed off because I I really worked hard on that remix. Some bands that i like i've always liked the british vocals like coldplay i like coldplay those type of sounding um vocals but you know like i love the killers that mm. would be great you know that's the answer yeah i would love to remix the killers
0: of your music creativity how much percentage of it is re- remixing and how much percentage of it is your own production or creativity and then beyond that what keeps inspiring you to create and, and motivate you to keep putting up beats and music?
1: Most of it is at the moment. Um, like if I would think of this whole year, most of his original work, uh, this um, lately and some remixes, not a lot of major label stuff. Um, the last remix for a major label was right before COVID. Um, and it did um Luma and Madonna did their track together. Mm. Oh, that one got released. Um, but after, um, but after that, uh, there's been a lot of uh, original stuff, and which I li- I like doing. That I'm trying to, uh, you know, doing original music. You're always trying to re- reinvent yourself. Always trying to create. You know, obviously, when I was when I started or when my career was taking off, there weren't that many people doing it. Music production, dance music. It was uh, only a few people doing it. Yeah. I maybe mean, I mean a few people, maybe maybe fifty or hundred people, you know. Now it's remixing and production It's very pretty simple to do if you can have if you have a good laptop and I don't want to say the word simple, but you know, it's it's easier than than being in a large recording studio with a huge board and, and all that stuff and outboard gear and all that stuff. Um so it's easier to do that. But you know, I I've always thought like, you know, when, when I start producing music, I've always imagined the crowd in front of me when I'm DJing if they're gonna like it. I tend to like focus a lot on the, on the people dancing while I'm performing. So I'll be like staring out there and seeing how they're reacting to this certain sound to that certain sound. And as people stop dancing and go to the bar, I'm like, okay, this is not good. You know, this, it didn't keep them there. So um, I remember all those moments when I started making music and um, I really don't want anybody to leave the dance floor. Yeah. So that's why my music tends to have a lot of energy you know, and if I start producing music, that's very, let's see, more deep, or a bit, let's they used the word boring. It's a bit boring, you know, and even though it might not be boring from somebody else. Um, so, yeah, when I, when I get inspired by the, by, by the people in the in, in the dance floor and stuff like that.
0: And other, actually,
1: I know other artists as well. I listen to a lot, a lot of the music.
0: Okay. Now, you mentioned when you started out, it, you know, the technology has advanced over time. Like, you mentioned having a, good laptop It has made things simpler and it, not putting any other artists down in any what, what way, but do you find that the fact that you've had the experience of having to do it, as you mentioned in the studio and the board and growing over time with the advancements of technology and what's come about, it's allowed you a deeper understanding of the way the music works and put together
1: yeah for sure like when when I st- when I re- officially started my music production in my career I did not ha- I mean I did learn I was trained to work in a big studio I was always a bit scared to a little work in those huge boards I will let other people work with that so when it came to for me this music I wanted to use as less equipment as possible because it was like intimidating for me to have a lot of a lot of a lot of gear a lot of producers The other way, they had to have everything, you know, to make their music. So, I remember when I started, I only have one keyboard, and it was like a digital audio workstation. So, on that keyboard, you could sequence and arrange a whole song, a whole remix, and then you know, have a little mixing board and two speakers, and that was about it. That was my setup. And um, but still, when you were gonna find a kick drum, or snare, or bass, a bass sound, or piano sound that's where you had to really get creative to make those sounds not sound so electronic. If you listen to like early electronic music from the Depeche Mode or, or uh, Eurasian Water, sometimes you hear those, those beats sound very, very, very electronic, which I like, but, and it's kind of cool now because it's kind of like coming back, yeah. but fast forward to now um, a DJ music producer can actually go online to certain companies that provide all these sounds already made for you and sounds awesome. You know, you can go and, and pay 10 bucks a month and they have access to a library of kick drums, of snares, of great bass sounds, bass sounds. You even have access to melodies already created by other people and you select by key and you just download it and then you can manipulate it. It's a whole new way of creating music I think it's pretty genius, you know, the people that we do it because you know it's like so now I have to reinvent myself and use those type of sounds that I already manipulated and created and make it sound cool with my stuff. So um, I do like it and sometimes I don't like it. I did am I'm I'm releasing a track called Majestic and I did not use anything. I went back old school and I went and I used sounds that were created from the software come fresh keyboard or fresh kick or fresh bass i manipulated myself and it sounds so awesome i was like wow it sounds so clean and loud it sounds beautiful and um so i i have my my whole battle with like should i use that should i use that so but you know i i do get a lot of demos from producers that use all the stuff that's already created for you and some of them are, are really good but You know, what happens is, like, a lot of stuff starts sounding the same. That's
0: what happens. Do you think those people who've only been used to using or creating music through that library of um, already available sounds and melodies, would they be able to create outside of that, do you feel? Or do you think they're stuck in that comfort zone?
1: That's a great question. Don't know the right answer, but I think that they'll – I think. some of them don't know how to create music by themselves. They actually they learned only by using other people's creative music yeah. and put it all together on a brand new sound. And there's an art there because if you have twenty thousand sounds to choose from and you choose from here, 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 and you put everything together and you have a production of song, you can even choose vocals which is bizarre. I mean, yeah. some of them are not, are not that good, but they, they, I mean, the, 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 um, it's just for you to get ideas. So um, who knows? I mean, I don't know. I get a lot of demos and I'm like, oh, okay, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I'm not going to use it. And if you really want to get technical on this, so in dance music, so many people use these sounds that when you, as, as a label owner, when you're distributing, in the music and you put them up on the platforms, for example, YouTube, you need to monetize your mm. song, you know, to make some money out of it. But then that's that percussion loop or that bass sound was used by 20 other artists. Yes. YouTube uses a con- content ID thing and it recognizes, oh, you stole this bass line from this okay. guy. I'm like, no, that guy stole it from that guy. And <laughs> yes. that guy stole it from the actual con- the, the company where you bought it. so it could it, so now for example I did a track and that I a uh, deal with with spinning records which is Warner and, and I did it with a friend of mine and he he had used a few loops from you know that was from the company that, that created them and we had we had to tell Warner these are the exact loops and the exact identification so when they put it up on YouTube or whatever it doesn't clash with other people so that's that sometimes I tell artists. Man, just don't use anybody. Just try to create your own, you know, Mm. so we don't get to that drama.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot. I love playing. People don't know that. (laughs) (laughs) I know the answer to this question will be different if I asked you in five minutes, 10 minutes tomorrow or three days time. But if you had to choose five songs by other artists that you'd play now after this interview, what would those five songs be? And by whom? Five songs from yeah. any, from okay from any artist, any genre, any decade. Those five go-to tracks you just put play, okay. and those would be the five that we'll go through. Okay.
1: Well, uh, let's see. New Order, Blue Monday. Uh, there's a track that I did called Funkatron that was r- did really well for me, and, and I still play, and it's been around for over ten years. So that one I would play. Yeah, this is good. I like this question. Makes me think. Uh, let's see, George Michael amazing i don't know if a yeah. lot of people heard that song but there's a there's a remix by full intention and yeah. it's so so good and, and I, lo- I, I love judge marco i mean he's too bad he passed away because yeah. that's an artist i did not get to remix the killers spaceman love that tune okay um one more pet shop boys anything from Pet Shop Boys? i'm a huge fan from pet shop boys western girls okay. that would be really cool That'll be a lot of fun. Maybe maybe I'll get it and they'll listen to this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that was their first single, hey? We're Singles. Yes. That was their first hit. Yeah, it was a, yeah, yeah yeah. that's right. Great that's right. Robbie, the podcast is listened to throughout the world. In fact, the main listening audience is the UK, the USA, Australia, and then South Africa. So as a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say?
1: Well, I would like to – everybody who's listening, who knows me, obviously – or not. I would like to say thank you for keeping me in the business for such a long time. I've been blessed to to do what I wanted to do when I was a little boy, which is to make music and and uh, and DJ and and be able to make a living out of it. It has been um, very very awesome. It has been great. There has been very horrible moments as well, <laughs> but um, it's something that I love to do. 49 already. I'm still doing it. So thank you so much to or everybody who's uh, kept kept my career going. I appreciate it.